God, this is almost a professional podcast. Nah. Well, then we have to stop. Yeah, <laughs> really. <laughs> Wait, doesn't professional mean you actually get paid for it? <laughs> Sorry, that was. I laughed a little too hard, a little too long at that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you did. <laughs> Welcome to AT Banter, the podcast where we discuss anything and everything regarding the world of assistive technology. With our hosts, Steve Barkley, Robineau, and Ryan Fleury. Now, let's banter. Hey, and welcome to another episode of AT Banter. Banter, banter. I am Robineau. And today, joining me are Ryan Flurry, Howdy. And Steve Barkley. Aloha. And uh, yeah, here we are once again in the guitar dungeon. Hey, guess what we did yesterday? What did we do yesterday? Well, you were there. <laughs> was yeah. I? Yeah, 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 you, you actually I, were. I was in a basement somewhere, that's all I know. We, yeah, <laughs> we had a, a big photo shoot. Well, I shouldn't say big. Yeah, topless on bearskin rugs. Oh wait, sorry, that was my dream last night. Yeah, that's well, that's next year. We'll, <laughs> we'll do we'll do boudoir photos. You <laughs> <laughs> listen. Okay, thanks you for know, giving thanks for giving me a year to get in shape. <laughs> listen, if anybody out there wants at banter boudoir photos, oh, email us at banterpodcast at gmail dot com. If we get ten people emailing us saying that they want boudoir photos we'll do it he'll do it wow yeah I was do say, it. is he allowed to speak for both of us <laughs> come on how badly do you want emails come on yeah uh, you're right i am kind of desperate for email yeah mm. no it was fine it was uh it was good uh it was kind of fun i've never done a photo shoot before and and you came off like a rock star i know yeah, so those the photos turned out pretty good. Except that we all look like a bunch of angry uncles. <laughs> well, yeah. Did you see the photos already? Yep. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah, he sent uh, he sent drafts. Oh, nice. Yeah, they, I don't know. I thought I thought for the majority of the majority of them turned out pretty good. Um, there's a there's there's a couple that that uh, the ones with the mics didn't turn out turn out all that well. Yeah, but. But yeah, it was, a, it was a thing. We got some more Instagram photos on our feed. Okay. It. There you go. So, yeah. Okay. So, how has your week been? Slow. Yeah, why? What's, quiet. Yeah, quiet. Nothing going on. Wow, I, summer's boring. I'm I'm still recovering from Vegas last week. Oh yeah, you cannot say it was a boring week. Last no, week. no, I can't. It was it was an epic, epic that it was an epic, epic wedding event. Nice, that's a smart move too. I had friends that that got uh, married in Vegas, and that's that's the move to make. You know, you go, you can you get married in an afternoon. The ceremony mm -hmm. takes like half an hour. You're back in the casinos, you know, by three. Life is good and it's fun. You know, everybody in the in the wedding party has fun. Like, how how big was the wedding party? Yeah, there were about twenty of us. Yeah, see, that's per and that's a perfect size for for something like that. My yep. sister got married in Vegas too, and they actually live streamed it. So for those who couldn't make it, you know, oh, like that's yeah, nice. yeah, they did that with this one as well. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, normally I'm not a big fan of destination weddings, but Vegas is easy enough to get to that, and it's and it's fun for everybody. I don't know. I had, I had other friends that, that had a destination wedding in in Cuba, and that really annoyed me because I was just like, "Well, I don't want to go to Cuba." <laughs> like, why is all of a sudden where you want to go, and all of a sudden now that's where I got to spend my vacation? And if I don't, I'm a bad friend. Maybe they think the same thing about Vegas. Well, I don't know. Who doesn't want to go to Vegas? Nobody. There's a lot of walking in Vegas. That's true. They got those people movers. They have you don't people have movers. To yeah, totally. What? I think they've got like moving walkways and stuff through through no, most of the. Not everywhere, no. <laughs> okay, There's wait. a lot of walking I did. Make don't it. they have a flying car there now? They do. Mm -hmm. Well, it's not there yet, but they're going to be testing it out there. Yeah. So there you go. There you go. Uh, hey Ryan. Rob. What the heck are we doing today? I don't have a clue. Yes, you do. I have no You're idea. 
what we're doing today. Stop, you're lying. I don't know. You're lying, dude. I'm not. How can you not know? I don't know. We're talking to Deborah Rue. Well, there you go. Cena, you know. Well, why do, Why don't you know? This is your house. <laughs> this is my house. Doesn't mean I know everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, your wife will back that up. That's right. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes, we're talking to Deborah Rue, who is the CEO and founder of Rue Global Communications, which is a company that focuses on global disability inclusion and consults on issues of accessibility with governments and institutions all over the globe. A very big deal. Very, very busy lady and very, very instrumental in the accessibility field in North America and I would say the world. Well, it's got global right in her name, right? So this is a heavy hitter. So we got to be on our good behavior today, which Steve already has. Well, both Steve and Ryan have beers in front of them, so... It's probably not not a good sign. Well, after the beer, I can bring the tequila down. No. No? All righty. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, I'm going to call her, guys. All right. Okie Hello. Hi, Deborah. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thanks. I guess I'll just start out to say uh, thanks so much for uh, joining us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Uh, it means a lot. Uh, you are one of the you know, accessibility fields, heavy hitters in, in our opinion. Um, we've kind of, we've kind of stayed in oh, tune with, you. with, uh, you and Neil with, with access chat. It's an amazing, amazing show. Thank you. It's a real labor of love. And I know, you know how that is. Absolutely. So, you know what, let's, let's go back to the beginning and just talk a little bit about what got you into the accessibility field originally. I, um, I have a, a daughter. Uh, um, I have a daughter and a son, and my my daughter is now 30 years old, and she was born with trisomy 21, commonly referred to as Down syndrome. And whenever Sarah, her name is Sarah, and when Sarah uh, reached the middle school in Virginia, we um, the experts came in and we started talking about employment, and the. I was really surprised at how low the bar was being set for her. And uh, pretty much at the age of 13, the experts were saying, you know, she, you know, she would never add any value at all in the workforce, which surprised me because um, she really is quite capable of doing all kinds of things. And I really woke up to the fact and the plight of many people with disabilities being really uh, included in the workforce. And so that's what started it. So I thought, well, how hard could it be to start my own business? Uh, I was in the banking industry and I, I'd never wanted to be a business owner, but I thought, well, maybe what I'll do is be part of the solution as a part, as opposed to claim, complaining about what wasn't being done. So in 2000, I, um, I started. I decided to start my own business, and it was um, a business called Tech Access. It was a made-up name, T E C Access, and the and Access spelled different from Access Chat. It was actually A C C E S S. Right. And so, I was going to do a web design company at the time. You know, I thought, oh, you know, I'll hire technologists with disabilities, and we'll do websites. And I started learning about some of the laws that were passing and being updated in the United States. Um, the Section 508 part of the Rehabilitation Act, which was certainly one of the most um, important laws at the time. And I thought, wow, wouldn't it be really cool instead of us building websites, maybe we would work with um, organizations to make sure the websites were accessible. And who better to do it than somebody that is actually has that type of disability that, you know, you're trying to make your website accessible for. Right. So that's how it started. <laughs> and approximately what year would have that been? That was the, the company started in 2001. And it, I, it started officially in the, uh, I mean, I planned it starting in 2000, but the company um, started in 2001 we started getting some nice little traction, and then uh, the United States had our little uh, September 11th, as we call it, which right. was the terrorist attack on our World Trade Center. 
Yeah. And um, I, I'm not sure if you are joining from the United States or the United Kingdom because I know you're global too. Um, yeah, we're, we're in Canada. But that's you're in Canada. All right. Even, even better. We love Canada. <laughs> uh, and I know that. I, I know that. I, f- I forgot. You know, I, you know, all Americans want to move to Canada these days. But, uh, I know just, you're, just you're building Democrats. a wall to uh, <laughs> stop it. We're, we're, we're meeting just people kidding. at the border with hugs. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. But, um, yeah, so the company started in 2011, and I hired um, – over the over the next 10 um well almost 11 years when the company was um in existence i hired uh, many many technologists with different disabilities and the i, I also hired technologists without disabilities but over 80 percent of my team were people with disabilities and what society sometimes would consider severe disabilities and we were very diverse we had quadriplegia paraplegia autism down syndrome the one down syndrome was my daughter um, we had uh, blind deaf hard of hearing um, you know j- just it was very diverse cerebral palsy ms md it was very diverse and we um we were very successful because many of my competitors at the time um, they weren't employing people with disabilities. And so I would go into these clients, government clients and corporate clients and say, well, you know, we actually employ people with disabilities. And so we can tell you whether or not your site's really accessible. I remember at the time, once again, a long time ago, that people were saying, well, close your eyes and pretend like you're blind and maybe you can tell if the website's accessible, which, you know, probably isn't really good advice. <laughs> right, yeah, <laughs> but, not so much. So it was a, it was a, yeah, it was a real differentiator for my team at the time, but my competitors caught on pretty quick. Well, and that was, you know, times. that was also like the real beginning of, of web accessibility. Like that was a bit of the Wild West back then. Um, things have really changed <laughs> over really the past, was. you know, 17 years, no, 16 years, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, it really was. We did not know what we were doing. We Well, I mean, we we were doing the best we could, but it was like everybody was trying to figure it out. You know, that was when D- WCAG 1.0 was available. And the, you know, once again, the old Section 508, and we were really figuring it out on the fly. Uh, so I worked a, very closely with a lot of corporations, but also with the United States government, who, of course, was one, the United States government agencies were the ones that had to comply with the law. So at that time, our, in the United States, the Americans with Disabilities Act hadn't, it wasn't really the cases were, you know, were still being fought out in court. And I should say uh, before the judges, really, because no cases all uh, made it all the way through our courts. But um, depending depending on how you're looking at it, I guess. But uh, it, there was just we really did not know uh, how to do this. But we actually had laws that said they had to do it. So we were all figuring it out together. And so then from Tech Access, then, uh, can you tell us how did Rue Global originate? Well, Rue Global, the idea for Rue Global came uh, around 2006. So I had um, Tech Access, what had been open about, um, you know, six years at that point. And one of my clients, well, a couple of my clients, um, they had made a lot of efforts to be accessible. And I remember um, one of my clients, HP was one of my clients, and the gentleman that worked for HP at the time, um, unfortunately, he's passed over, but his name was Michael Takamara. And Michael was trying to get all this work done, and he said, HP really believes in this. But he said, it's hard because it's always a compliance issue. And so I really want to convince HP that this is good for our brand and good for our bottom line. But right now, this is a compliance issue. Once again, that's going back, you know, 11 years. And I started thinking, you know, we really need to do a better job at telling the stories and really highlighting what corporations and what agencies um, are 
are really trying to do the right thing by the community of people with disabilities. And it just, that was the first time I really started thinking about it. I started asking some of my other clients and they said often, even though most of them were with really large uh, successful corporations, many of them felt like they were little small nonprofit areas in the corporation that were fighting for every dollar. And each year they had to justify their existence as accessibility experts in these corporations. And so that's really when I first started thinking about it. And um, whenever Tech Access merged with SSB Bark Group, which is now called Level Access, in 2011, and I joined them for 18 months. And but I really like being an entrepreneur. So um, in 2013, I created Rue Global, and I just used my last name sort of as a placeholder and slapped global on the end of it because I knew that these had to be global conversations and it just sort of exploded from there. And I think it was because we really needed to tell the stories of what the organizations that are really trying were doing. And as Canadians, you have some really, really strong players in your neck of the woods. I know TD Bank. TD Bank has done amazing things. And I'm you know, nobody's perfect. We we don't even know what perfect looks like. Everything's still unfolding. Right. But we, I actually had multiple clients at the time um, in uh, Canada. Uh, VMware was another one, and uh, we've helped out Scotia Bank, and seeing a lot of innovation coming from Canada. But one thing that I found, and it's you know, uh, it was really nice when I met up with Neil and Antonio, we created Access Chat because that sort of continued to build upon, you know, what I'd already learned moving forward, which is we need to do the hard work of accessibility. We need to blend it into our processes. We need to, you know, follow the standards. We need to understand the legislation, all the moving parts. We need to employ people with disabilities that use assistive technology, but we also really have to reward these brands by telling their stories. And I am not one that tries to slam the brands, but of course we know that happens too on social media and in the United States, there's a lot of litigation, a lot of litigation that's trying to iron out what does it mean to be accessible. Right. But um, so it's been an interesting journey, you know, not a straight path. So can you kind of give us an idea of what like what the process is like when you go into uh, a company or a corporation? Um, what, what kind of things do you, do you tell them or, or what advice do you give? Well, what's, what's interesting to me is that um, whenever I was with Tech Access, it, it was, um, you know, not easy. I, I don't think accessibility is really easy because it's just so multidimensional and multifaceted and it, so many people are impacted and, you know, the technology moves so fast, you know, all the different things that you make up accessibility. And so um, I would, you know, we would go in we would, you know, are you accessible? And let's look at your website. And uh, by the way, this isn't just about website. You also need to make sure your products and your services, your apps, all those different things. But then when I became Rue Global Communications, I, I, we, we had to handle it a little differently because I cannot, um, you can't just go in talking about accessibility. But what's, I'm now going in to these corporations, many that come to me, um, and say, and what we're talking really about this from a branding perspective. But we can't really talk about how good your brand is of including people with disabilities if you're not accessible. So a lot of times I'll have clients come to us and I do with very large, my typical client is very large multinational corporations and they um, are headquartered in different countries. And so I had a, for example, I had a brand come to me, um, a global brand um, that is U.S. based, but they have locations all over uh, in many countries. And they came to me and they said, you know, we really want to do a better job of it, including people with disabilities as employees and as customers. So where do we even begin? 
And so the first thing we suggest is, you know, is your website accessible? You know, and so what we'll do is we'll do a real quick look. And I, ha- I still employ people with disabilities and real experts and accessibility. So we'll take a, re- a real quick look to see, you know, have they made any efforts at all? Very easy to figure that out. And, um, and then we recommend vendors to them because one thing we think is important is real global communications doesn't have to be, you know, everything for everybody. So we like to recommend the, you know, different ways that they can become accessible. We'll recommend different vendors they can use, or we'll recommend training that's out there, or we'll, we'll just give them a sort of a plan on how to get accessible. But we always say, you don't want to start telling your story until you're accessible, because you're going to fail really bad. And if, if you're in the United States, you might be publicly embarrassed, right. which, you know, is what we do in the U.S. And so, <laughs> but we, we're we making d- progress. We dabble but, in that know, here, we'll too. We'll sue each other and, yeah. <laughs> yeah, y'all know how that is. So, and so it's sort of a different process than what we would do in the past. And um, so, first of all, we make sure that, and I mean this respectfully, but they have a story to tell because we don't want to tell your story at Global Communications if you're not truly including people with disabilities because that is who we are. You know, we're this community. So we um, we really, we, we try to help them understand, you know, and by the way, every everybody has a story to tell. But it's a, it's just in a different it's in different stages, you know, and so we we take a look at we almost a snapshot of where you are now, and then where do you need to be, and then how do we still tell the story? And the story is always an inter- it can always be an interesting story as you talk about the phases because not only did your corporation, for example. Um, learn as you walk this path of accessibility, but look at all the opportunity opened up for all of your other employees without disabilities or your employees with invisible disabilities or the other stakeholders, including the vendors and your, um, your clients and your customers and the potential for new customers. So we try, we, you know, get, we um, give them a, we help them create a plan of attack of where they're going and how they're going to really make sure that people with disabilities are really meaningfully included and they're um, they're accessible and they stay accessible, which is very hard sometimes. And do you feel like the uh, I guess the attitudes have changed over the past ten years? Because it's it's been our feeling yes. that yeah. you know it, ten years ago accessibility was. It was an add-on. It was an add-on, or it was a you know it was something that a, a corporation right. had to do at a cost. But these days, it seems like a, a lot of corporations have realized that hey, you know what? Uh, the more accessible we are, the actual better our bottom line is going to be. I I totally agree that it has changed, and I'll give you a little example. I um, I'm an author, and I've written a couple of books. I wrote one also social media because you know I love social media and I, I wrote one on tapping into hidden human capital um, and I tracked uh, corporations all over the world I wanted it to be a global book not just a US based book and so I tracked corporations um, that were employing people with disabilities and of course I talked about accessibility because I think the the United States forgot that we were part of the rest of the world. And that's why my work, it has always been so important to me to do global, always do a glo- from a global perspective, because I thought, always thought, you know, it was a mistake to only do it from a U.S. lens. We're all involved, you know. The, the, I just think it's a mistake to only look at this. I realize I'm preaching the choir here. Y'all get that, but... Yep. A lot of times when I first started doing this, that's one reason why, once again, I, I put global on my the end of my name because I wanted to make it very clear that I was going to have global conversations, not just U.S.-based. I love being an American in the United States. I love living in the United States most of the time, but um, little le- I'm a little less confident in the United States right now, as, as is many other people in the world. <laughs> 
because you work, you know, across the globe, how do different countries differ in terms of accessibility? Like who's who's sort of in the lead right now in terms <laughs> of accessibility? Well, you know, it it sort of depends. You can answer that different ways, but I'll just say whenever I was writing my second book about employment and I was tracking what was happening globally, what corporations are actually hiring people with disabilities? Do we have anything to celebrate? That type of book. All, all of the American companies, the, the, the U.S.-based corporations that I reached out to, many of them good friends of mine, um, they refused to be in the book. They said, are you kidding me, Deborah? We're going to get in the book. We're going to talk about that we've done this and we've done that. We think it's a best practice. And then we're going to get lawyers calling us, telling us that, you know, we're horrible. We haven't done enough. And so they felt like being talking about their successes in this space and accessibility and disability inclusion actually made them a target, which, by the way, it has in some cases. And so... But so it took me three years to write the book for a variety of, re of reasons. And it, you know, it, it was affiliated with, you know, it was global and blah, blah, blah. And it had a lot of editors. By the time it was almost ready to publish, I had about seven. There were seven U.S. corporations that came back and said, is there still time to be in the book? Because what happened in the U.S., you know, we sue each other over this and our lawsuits are way up. Um, from August 2015 to August 2016, lawsuits for web accessibility were up by 65% wow. and have continued to grow dramatically. And we've had some very interesting landmark cases like a recent one with Winn-Dixie. And so it, we're seeing some in hobby, um, hobby town, hobby, I forget, hobby, hobby I forget lobby. what it is, but it, yeah, yeah. Um, and so we, we've had some very interesting um, results. So what corporations have figured out is that if they don't tell us their story, whether you're in the U.S. or not, if they don't tell us their stories through social media, through marketing, through, um, you know, doing your, you know, getting accessible, blah, blah. If you don't do it, it your stories might be told in a different, you know, by somebody else. Right. And so it's. So it has shifted, and it's not just because of the United States, because we've seen, um, with, I mentioned TD Bank, who I think is one of the best, and they uh, were talking, you know, they're, they're Canadians. You Canadians aren't as bragging as we, you're not as much of braggarts as the U.S. people are. Well, but and, and, Unless it comes you, to hockey. That, that's because we're that's awesomer. Right, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> and my, my husband's from Buffalo, so I, uh, yeah, I, I, I get that, and he did summers in Canada. <laughs> but um, so what's happened is all of these moving parts and corporations like TD Bank or Barclays Bank in the UK um, and others, as they started look, talking about this from this is good for our brand, this is good for our business, this is, you know, the right, we feel it's the right thing to do because we want any customer that wants to work with us or bank with us or buy with us to, you know, work with us, um, that all put pressure on the corporations in the U.S. Plus, the U.S. corporations realized that the lawsuits weren't going to, they're not going to get better. They're going to get worse. And part of doing business, this is always funny, but part of doing business in the United States is being prepared to be sued because it's so we do it so much in the U.S. And if you're a big corporation, you have lawsuits filed against you constantly. It's just part of being in business. And um, so the the U.S. corporations actually have started being, well, they, from the beginning, they were trying to be very innovative. They didn't want the government to tell them, well, it, they wanted to be able to self-certify that they were accessible. And so the community is like, okay, fine. You want to self-certify, then make sure that you really are accessible, and then we won't sue you, or we won't try to get the U.S. government to come in and say um, we don't trust the corporations. You're going to have to put laws in place, sort of like what they did in Europe, where you can't self-certify. You have to go through a third party. Um, and so the corporations were very motivated 
for that not to happen because they don't want the government in any more in their business than they already are. So it might be messy in the U.S. Oh, boy, it's messy. But what's happened is actually really helped accessibility as a whole because so many U.S. corporations are actively working on accessibility. Once again, nobody's perfect. And when you say, even when you say, are there some countries that are better than other countries? It's it sort of depends on how you answer the question, because I personally think Canada's doing a really good job as far as how you're advocating for it and the, the laws are popping up. And and I know that Canada has a lot of work to do, but we're seeing Canadian corporations really taking the lead. So I and then there's developing countries like um, the Egypt that has done some very interesting things and uh, tying it into an employment to employment and uh, the UK has done amazing jobs but the the and no but they've done an amazing job but they are sort of still um, the US and the UK have similarities because they're trying to you know get out the ruler and smack everybody on the knuckles because the, these corporations weren't doing the right thing so I mean I understand why it happened but and then Europe, we're seeing such interesting legislation coming out of Europe, and now we're seeing things happening in Asia. But I don't think that any country right now can stand up and say we're the best at it all right now. I think we all have parts that you know we're good at, and it's happening in developing and developed countries. The USU, I, I when I speak globally, and I'll do it. I started doing it in the U.S. too because. People in the U.S., um, not you know, a lot of Americans, there's only about, I, I heard a quote that 30% of, only 30% of Americans have passports. And so a lot of Americans don't travel. And so I think it's important for Americans to hear what's being said outside the U.S. in, in this space. Right. And so the litigation that has happened, even though it's been painful and continues to be painful and messy, it is actually causing us to be innovative and creative and more accessible often in the United States. I hear people say all the time that the websites in the United States are much more accessible to them than other countries. So we just do it really a hard way, but, you know, that's the way we do it. So, Well, and, you know, it's funny because one of my questions was, um, you know, what factors do you think contributed to the current groundswell in accessibility and it from the sounds of it it's just one word and that's litigation and it, you litigation, know litigation yeah. yeah and and you're not the the first person to talk to us about that we've had a few guests on that have said the exact same thing and you know it's kind of a shame because you know you'd like to say that you'd like to point to say oh the fact that you know social media is giving people with disabilities more of a community and more of a voice and so that's giving you know, accessibility, more traction. But it sounds like at the end of the day, it's just corporations will, will pay attention to one thing, and that's the bottom line. Yeah, and you know what's interesting about that is maybe that's okay for corporations to focus on their bottom line because if they're not in business, that doesn't do any of us any good. And True. we've seen these some large, especially in the U.S., we've seen some large mammoth companies fail. I mean, y'all have too. I mean, look yep. at, you know, what was happening with BlackBerry. You know, uh, it's it's really troubling when a very large corporation starts failing because so many families get impacted, right. you know. And so uh, I know that with some of these European um changes they're actually giving people with disabilities the right to litigate whether or not they're going to litigate in the aggressive way in the united states does which i assume not but it does seem to be that first of all you have to force them to do it and then but now i think enough time has passed and these u.s corporations um are realizing and and i shouldn't say just u.s because these multinational corporations that might do business in the u.s they're realizing that they have no choice they have to do this and by the way there are all these benefits that they're getting from it which they weren't expecting right. so the corporations now are being some of the biggest advocates 
for this because they're like, wow, you know, when we make things accessible, it improves access for every one of our clients. And we're finding our clients are actually using our technologies more, which save us money, which improve the bottom line. So it's, it's, it's interesting how we get here as always. Yeah. But I'm very, very optimistic. And now we have corporations coming to us as a communication global communications company saying we want to tell our stories we want to and the other day I was talking to a a new client and they introduced me and they said Deborah Ruse a well-known advocate blah 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 and I said you know I said I'm going to change the word advocate to strategist because I'm a strategist that helps corporations tell their story and meaningfully include people with disabilities in their workforce and their customer base and the accessibility, all those things. But in the United States, corporations view advocates as people that sue them. And so I don't want these corporations to view me as somebody that's suing them. I want them to view me as somebody that can help them be successful and including all of us. And by the way, more you, your entire business will um, will benefit from this. I, I'll give you an example that I thought was very interesting. I was talking to Cisco uh, Patrick Ramez of Cisco the other day, and they're doing some very interesting things of including people with disabilities and workforces all over the world. And one thing that they found with this group of um, individuals that were blind that they hired in Bangladesh, right. a couple of things happened that surprised them. They they expected that these employees would be loyal and appreciative because it's very hard for them to get other jobs. So, and you know, most of us appreciate our jobs. Um, they expected them maybe to be innovative and problem solvers because they're blind and they're living in areas that are very inaccessible, but they didn't, there were two things that caught them by surprise. I'm going to write about this, but one is that, um, that they were the problem solving skills actually help them be more productive than their counterparts that weren't blind, hmm. which really surprised them. And they have numbers and um, statistics that are showing it 200% wow. more productive. Holy. I know it's really interesting. But then another thing they found, which I don't think any of us thought to consider the empathy the empathy that these employees have for the customers are some of the strongest that they've ever seen. And they get more customers being satisfied with them and happy with them because the customers feel like they understand them because Mm -hmm. these individuals are empathetic. They've walked really hard walks often. I mean, it's just unfortunately the nature of, you know, the way it works in our world right now. But that was that part is fascinating. And so you start talking about these type of gains and the corporations are, they get really excited. We, there was an example I gave in my book, um, Tapping into Hidden Human Capital, of Canon. Canon did this project and it, it was a great project. It was back in 19, 1998 and they uh, employed a small team of individuals with intellectual disabilities um, to make to take cameras and when you returned them because the camera stopped working they would take the camera they would dismantle the cameras figure out which pieces were good which could be refurbished and which could be um, disposed of in a responsible way because Canon's very interested in sustainability in the environment as well and so the the first year they made about 19 million dollars doing this rather than taking the cameras and throwing them in the landfills. So that's a success. Yay. (laughs) Well, (laughs) but something else happened that really surprised Canon. And they found that in this location outside of Chicago, Illinois, where they were doing this small pilot group, the entire productivity for the entire um, plant went up by about 36%. Hmm. And, like all corporations, if one, you know, one area, one, you know, plant, one uh, manufacturing, whatever you call it, um, 36% is substantial. The only thing that was different 
between them and all of the other locations was this group of employees with intellectual disabilities. So they started interviewing the um, different employees and stuff, trying to figure out why there was such a productivity gain across the board. And the employees started saying, we're really proud. I love that I work for Canon and they hire John who has Down syndrome or, or Diane who's blind or, and the employees were proud. And when employees are proud, their productivity goes up. Mm-hmm. And so things like that, corporations are starting to realize these things and how we got here. Did we sue each other? Did, you know, to get here? it doesn't matter. They're starting to understand the value that people with disabilities can bring to their workforce, to their client base. They're starting to understand that when you make things accessible for all of us, including people with disabilities, people that 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 might have a different, you know, they're they might not speak the primary language of the country. Um, there's benefit to them. There's benefit to people like me that have slow Wi-Fi, you know, and so <laughs> there are all these benefits, benefits to people that are, you know, aging um, and, you know, senior citizens and stuff. So I think that's what's happening. The corporations are starting to realize there's real benefit to including us in these conversations, you know, it, it, to make the efforts to include us and their customer bases and their employee bases. So, but I, I guess we just had to walk this real messy path to get here. So let's talk a little bit about social media um, and how that has perhaps factored into things. You know, how has social media and um, the online disability community factored into uh, accessibility becoming a larger conversation? Well, I, I think it's been a major factor. Whenever we created Access Chat, AXS Chat, um, I had done a little too. I, I was already on social media because I felt social media was a place that we could bring our voices together and really have a powerful conversation. And then Antonio and Neil, they saw what I was doing and we decided to come together to have a global conversation. And the thing that's interesting about social media, there's a lot of bad things that happen on social media. Some countries even have presidents tweeting really stupid stuff on social media but anyway um but I won't, I won't go in there but twitter is a very powerful medium as we know and so um but what happened was now because of social media and because of efforts like access chat and others podcasts like yours there is now a bilateral way of communicating corporations to um, to the community of people with disabilities, and it does go both ways. Whenever a corporation, um, just using corporations for example, whenever a corporation does something that's negative or positive, we see it all over social media. All I need to say is United Airlines, and a lot of people are going to immediately think of they break guitars. The passenger, <laughs> yeah, right, right. And what's interesting is there, there's a whole lot more story uh, to that particular story than just United Airlines drag a passenger off. There was a whole lot more to that story that, um, but it was unfortunate what happened, to say the least unfortunate to say the least but so uh, I remember um, you know there were brands that people would be on Twitter or they would be blogging or something else years a few years ago I should say you know six seven years ago and the corporation would send a cease and desist letter and oh that didn't work well that way <laughs> things would get much worse so the brands now realize the corporate you know using that lens that you know they they have to talk to us they have to engage with us right. and i think social media has really opened a lot of these corporations eyes because they're realizing that these are real people out here that just want to be your customer That's right. and if you're not accessible not only can I not use it, but the rest of my family might not be able to use it and or want to use your sites and your application, your mobile. So uh, social media, I think, has played a powerful, powerful um, part of this. I, I think it's as important as litigation. 
And I think that you're going to see that it's going to continue to be more and more and more powerful as well. You know, I'm being cheeky when I make that little comment about, you know, my president tweeting, but it is such a powerful medium. It's such a powerful medium, and it's an opportunity to be heard in ways that we never could be heard before. You could write letters and stuff. But I think it's only going to grow in intensity. And one thing that I try to say to my community, the community of people with disabilities, is it sort of is the same thing that was always true. You almost always are going to get more, you know, as they say, flies with honey than you are, you know, with vinegar. So I always try to say to the community, do be heard. And, and don't, you know, if you have a complaint about a company, you know, by all means, engage with them. But try to keep your comments grounded because if you're too negative all, all the time on social media, which some people are, people just stop listening to you. Right. And they, and, yeah. And I've had people be negative to me on social media just because I, I'm so out there. And the old saying is, on social media is don't feed the trolls. So if somebody's being real nasty on social media for whatever reason and not really grounding it with this is the problem, let's figure out how you can solve it, then, you know, I, I usually will look if somebody's being real ne- negative, I will look and see, is this a common thing they do? Uh, do they commonly go and be really nasty? And and I would say 90% of the time it is very common. All of their tweets are really ugly and nasty. And, and so social media has just really changed the game. And not just Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, uh, Instagram, right. Pinterest. It, it's really all the different. And, and those are just a few that are common in the United States. But it has really given this community a voice. And I'm always encouraging uh, the community people with disabilities, please get out on social media. Please use your hashtags. Please get involved. So given the, say, the past five years, where do you see the accessibility field, say, in, in another five years? Well, I, I'm seeing a lot of disruption. And disruption, just by the nature of that word, is, um, is painful but sometimes needed to go where we're, wherever we're going. But I think that accessibility is going to continue to be very important, but I'm going to, I think it's, you're going to see it become more and more and more mainstreamed. We're already seeing it mainstreaming. Um, in the United States, for example, there's a lot of people, I mean, with, with the work like uh, that organizations like the IAAP, the International Association of Accessibility Professionals, where they're trying to get people certified and let's all agree on what it means to be an accessibility professional. Does it mean that, you know, I've never done any, I've had people say to me, what's accessibility? Oh, I'm accessible. My website's up 24-7. Okay, great. (laughs) But that's not what I mean by accessibility. So um I think that some of those efforts that are being made to to certify and agree as an as an industry, what does it mean to be an expert? And you know, using the the same standards. I mean, we've all pretty much agreed on W3C WCAG 20AA. Right. And uh, but the ILO is involved. I mean, um, you know, there are other stand the I the other standards board. Um, ISO. Anyway, I'm going to confuse my mind now. But the, uh, you know, some of the other standards boards are getting engaged in this as well. Right. And um, I, th- I think that it's going to continue to legitimize. I think in the next five years, you're going to see more of what's happening. Uh, companies are getting infusions of cash. There's a lot of mergers and activity happening um, from. The very end of November 2016 until the beginning of January 2017, I had at least 10 investor groups contact me and ask me about the space and who should they be looking at and who were the leaders. And I kept saying to them, here's the, the normal leader, here's leader, some of the leaders, and I gave them some of the U.S. corporations, but I said, do not stop 
by looking in the U.S. You have to go outside of our borders because there is very interesting things happening in Canada and in Israel and in Europe and in the Asias and Central America. And, and I kept telling them, do not just look in the U.S. for this because innovation is happening in a lot of other places as well. And I, I predict that what you're going to see is more, or is happening right now. I was at a conference in enabling uh, a few weeks ago, and there was a, a there was a, a investor there giving out his cards and saying, you know, we're looking to buy, we're looking to buy. So I think you're going to see cash infusion coming in. You're going to see the disruption continue to happen. I, I think that probably what we're also going to see in the next five years is some of these overlays and middlewares that we see now that are working hard to make it easier to become accessible. I think that those are going to become more sophisticated. I don't think there's ever going to be a need of not having individuals that know accessibility and that use assistive technology and are experts in the field. They're still going to be needed, but they're going to be needed for maybe not the 101 of accessibility, but more the more difficult. How in the world do I make this work with this? You know, uh, more technical exception based. So right. I think I think you're going to need. We're going to become more sophisticated as we as the industry continues to evolve and grow. <laughs> it, it's such a. I love this topic. I love this topic, and even though I'm quote disability. Whoops. Even though I'm, quote, gone. <laughs> come back. <laughs> there she is. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Even though I'm clicking. You know, it's, I, the digital divide is alive and well in uh, Virginia. Um, but <laughs> you can't make any assumptions. Our infrastructure is so old in the States that we're, we're please pray for the u.s please pay for, play for, for my beautiful little country over here but believe me we do um, every time we see the news yes yes, we do. yes. Ugh, ugh. And, and and don't think that all you know most americans are absolutely mortified about what's happening there's a very small vocal part that isn't but most of us you know yes are, yeah it's very anyway. it's a very they're very polarizing times oh they're real it really is and it's and it's a shame. It, it, you be, know what? Yeah. Well, yeah, because I it mean, is a shame. It, because it, the more polarized you get, the less likely you're at, you are to actually have a conversation. It's just you just look at the I other know, side I and know. just scream at them, and nobody's yep. minds get yep. changed. Yep. Uh, we, you know, what we we were such, and we still are an amazing country, such an amazing country. But we we've had a really um, hard walk, you know, over the. Um, last, you know, 30 years, we, we've, we've, you know, some people might even say it started at September 11th, but I think it was before that. So it's been, um, I think we're trying to evolve. I really, really, really believe we're trying to evolve and that we'll be better for the, the, I mean, same thing with our industry. You know, it's been, it's been a tough industry walk, but I think in the long run, we're going to all be better for it. But I'm an optimist, so. Well, and hopefully um, that's the always silver, an optimist. That's hopefully the silver lining in all this is that perhaps it's it's woke. It has woken people up, um, on both sides, and people who may have been apathetic are now more of an advocate and more, you know, more active in in the political in their political life. You know, the yes. part that disturbs me I most so. about it right now is is that um, I don't hear people in this in the states. Um, in in the political arena, the, the politicians themselves, I don't hear them talking about taking the money out of politics, and I think that's the one thing nope. that that has to happen. Yes, for for the insanity oh, to stop. It, 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 so true. That's so true. And I have often said, can we please look at what the Canadians are doing? Because you are doing it so smart. You don't have all that lobbyists and these these politicians in the U.S. They don't have a chance. I mean, they they need these rich people to win, and yep. then they're they're they have obligations to them. Yeah. And until we take the money out of politics, which we have seen other countries do successfully, 
and then we get we'll get a Justin. I, I want Justin. I <laughs> love him. Well, uh, I will send him you, you can have him. <laughs> oh, we he's, we we love him. <laughs> he's he's cute, but he's not so, really a lot different than the last guy we had. Well, see, you love oh, Justin, well, but we, we love your president yeah. when he tweets Kahafi or whatever the word was. <laughs> Kofifi. Oh. Kofifi. Oh, my God. Yes, that's so we'll word. trade you for a week. I bet we will never forget that word. We love that word. Yeah. It's... Um, yeah, it, but you 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 nailed it. Until we really have political reform and get yeah. the money out of it, uh, I I don't think that we can be successful. And we're still not talking about it. I I don't know why, but I'm hoping the, you know, th- there's a lot of young people getting involved in politics now because they saw what happened. On both Republicans, Democrats. We also need a stronger third party too. But oh, for sure. Um, it, it's. Yeah, it'll be it's going to be interesting. But in, as long as you can pay, as long as you can buy somebody. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's. Yep. Well, as and, long and, as, you know that. Yep. And as long as politicians, you know, you know, as long as their motivation is to get reelected because they don't want to lose their job. You right. know, it's just, you know, they're, they're going to make decisions based on that and not based on what's potentially right. Right. I know that it's I feel I don't know why anybody would go into politics right now, but I'm glad they still are. But we're awful mean to our politicians and and they're (laughs) and the politicians, you know, deserve it some ways because we get nothing done. But our system is now being used against all of us. So it will, um, you know, we, we got a lot of work to do, but. Um, and I guess we like to do things messy. So, but we're really smart, and I think, you know, I, I just have to be optimistic. Otherwise, I can't get out of bed. I just will, you know, I get very depressed, and um, so I, I have to be optimistic and do my part. It, yeah. What is my part? And it can't get much worse, I would think. Yeah. Yeah. Let's hope. You know, I, 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 I'm afraid to say that anymore because I used to say that and then. <laughs> and then it did. I used to say, come on, we would never do that. Are you kidding? That's ridiculous. Yeah. And so I was like, I believed our media when they said one candidate was going to win by landslide. So, yes. yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's been a real eye opener for a lot of Americans. So, um, well, keep fighting the good yeah. fight. No matter what happens, yeah. please, please keep rolling out Sean Spicer because that dude is hysterical. Oh my god! Oh my god! He is. It's. I oh think, my god! I think once it's all over, he's going to have his own talk show, a late oh. night talk show, or he'll late night pre- with Sean Spicer, yeah. or he'll run for yeah. president. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah, 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 absolutely, because, you know, anybody can run for president. Now. <laughs> Apparently, yeah. Like, yeah. You don't even have to be remotely really... qualified anymore. <laughs> the Rock. No, no. Let's, get, let's get Dwayne Johnson in there. It's it's amazing listening to the, to him talk. I, I just am sometimes. I, I just don't know. It's funny. Be, oh, you know what? I'll take um, Whenever y'all had the, and I know he's passed away, but the Toronto mayor. Oh, yeah, Rob was Ford. Yeah. watching that. We were shocked because we're sitting here watching and thinking, "Does that can't happen in Canada? Those are our smart neighbors." And so we were like sitting back, sometimes amused uh, by it. Um, but you know, it can happen to all of us. We here. just, you know, we just do everything real big. <laughs> we're he, making America great again. Rob Ford actually came out to a yeah. a convention out here in Vancouver um, a couple of years back. And uh, uh, ended up in a pub uh, just a few blocks away from where we're sitting right now, and uh, and bought uh, some of my friends or some of my son's friends drinks. He was a he was an entertaining character, oh, wow. that guy. Yeah, yeah, very entertaining, and um, and I will tell you, Vancouver is one of the most accessible cities I've ever visited. I was really impressed. Oh, awesome! I was really, really, really impressed with Vancouver. What a gorgeous place! Gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous. Yeah, we but very accessible. You you must have been here the day the sun was out. <laughs> <laughs> it was yeah, it was really pretty when I was there. Oh, I was I I just wanted to leave the conference and go to the mountains because it's just stunning scenery. 
Okay, I think I, I know you're busy, and I think we've taken up your afternoon. And I know wow. that we could we could probably do a whole another podcast just on politics. I can just tell. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, so, for sure. Yeah, um, yeah. But before we let you go, um, and is there anything that you'd like to plug? Uh, to tell us when Access Chat airs. Okay. Well, thank you. Um, Access Chat, um, so it's, once again, A-X-S Chat, and you can go to www.accesschat.com also to see all of our old episodes. But it's every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time. And it's deliberately 3 p.m. because it's a global chat. So it's 8 o'clock in the U.K. And I guess it's uh, noon in Vancouver time. Yep. So we deliberately set it up. I've had some, some Americans complain. Why are you doing it at 3 o'clock? We're doing it at 3 o'clock because we want the Middle East to join. We want Europe to join. We want the U.K. to join. We, you know, so right. not, you know, some like India and Asia, it's dip, more difficult. They join later. But we're getting every week a of around a 50 million person spread. We're stunned by the wow. reaction. It's the second largest tweet chat in the world. Wow. So wow. that's ex very exciting. And we're talking about accessibility. It's so cool. And but also I will plug my own website, which is www.ruhglobal.com. And I have a, a radio program podcast called Human Potential at Work and a Facebook group called Human Potential at Work. But we're also creating a station, a network that's going to have a lot of podcasts on there. We'd love to talk to y'all about being on there. Oh, it would yeah. give you another 19 channels that would pick up your program. Fantastic. But um, yeah, we're actually going to do a network now uh, to, for, you know, just to, once again, trying to raise the volume for all of us. So our, our work can be heard because I think we have a lot to be hopeful about. Deborah, thanks Thank again you. so much for joining us. We, it was a real honor to talk to you. Thank you. I feel the same way. And thank you for the work you're doing. Yeah, keep really doing the work you're it. doing, too. It's fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So get ready. I'm coming across the border. <laughs> All righty. We'll be here with hugs. Okay, <laughs> okay Deborah, you. take care. All right. Bye-bye. Okay. 50 million a week. That's what? crazy, eh? 50 million a week. Yeah, that's insane. Wow. And that's a tweet, a Twitter chat. Yeah. 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 It's incredible. Yep. We have 268 followers. Oh, one up one. Hey, no, our, our followers down. are awesome, though. They are. Yeah. We love them. I'm, I'm sure that 50 million is probably made up of a few mediocre people, but not, not <laughs> our followers. Not <laughs> our followers. I'm disappointed. I looked this morning. We were 270. Oh, wait. Maybe oh, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm not up to, up to the latest numbers. We're losing people. No, we're quick, not losing quick. people. <laughs> Do something. <laughs> quick, tweet something. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Don't go. <laughs> be the, we need you. <laughs> be the most needy Twitter channel ever. <laughs> Just start spouting nonsense. <laughs> well, that was really cool. That was really great talking to her. I've been looking forward to that for for uh, months now. What a heavy hitter in in that field. Um, mm -hmm. It just amazing amazes me what what she's up to and the corporations that she deals with. Yeah. Yeah. But but it's encouraging. It's encouraging that all these big corporations are finally open to talking about it. Yeah, and they're looking at it in a different way. It's no longer like a pain in their butt add-on. It's like, oh hey, look, you know what? If we become accessible, uh, we open up a whole new demographic for mm -hmm. our for our product. Yep. Not only that, we look really good to the community. Like, oh, go figure. But it is a shame. Like, I, I don't know. The optimist in me, you know, really, really wants to think that that this this um, groundswell in in the accessibility community uh, is is due to you know people's voices and people holding hands and singing in unison. But no, it's just people getting sued. <laughs> <laughs> well, in the U.S., it is. Well, I mean, even you know, in, even in other here. places, it's uh, oftentimes you know advocacy groups getting in front of government and and you know pressuring um but um well hey look at look at here donna look at donna yeah Joden. donna Joden I mean, she had to sue the government yeah. mm -hmm. to make their website accessible yeah, so that's a fair point we're not all that much better no. i think the other thing to remember too is that if if a company is becoming more accessible or has accessible products 
we as the community need to rally around and support that company by purchasing their products. Good point. You know, Sony just recently, I think in the fall, released a new TV. Um, it's a 4K TV, but it actually has a built-in screen reader. Really? So you can access it's an Android TV, so you can install TalkBack on it. It's a smart TV, so you can access Netflix and YouTube. But it also has its own screen reader built in to access the channel guide. Wow. So it'll tell you what's on channel 2, channel 3, channel 4. If we don't rally around Sony and start supporting these companies, they're not going to bother doing it anymore. That's a good point. Right. And this is how Ryan justified his new television. (laughs) (laughs) No, don't have one yet. (laughs) That's to come. (laughs) But, you know, we, we need to support these companies. Years ago, I think it was Pioneer came out with a talking VCR. Yep. You know, and not a lot of people went out and bought it, or maybe they weren't aware of it, um, of its availability, and, you know, discontinued. Well, I wasn't aware of this TV until you just mentioned it right now, so... And I heard about it from Jonathan Mosin's podcast. Huh. Yeah. So, yeah, that's something we should be spreading the word about. Yeah, yeah. Well, t- well, let's talk about that in a future show, and we'll, yeah. we'll get all the specs, and we'll, we'll mm-hmm. talk a little bit about that, because that's interesting. Yeah. Let's get the product designer for it on. Maybe we can get a demo of the TV. Yeah, there you go. Oh, Have sweet. send us one. Yeah. Rob needs you're a, thinking. Rob needs a new TV. I do, and, and <laughs> someone to mount it. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not crooked. That's right. <laughs> hey, Ryan. Rob. Where can people find us? In Vancouver. Where else? In my basement. All right, fine. They can find us online at www.atbanter.com. They can also email us if they so desire. If they email atbanterpodcast at gmail.com. Did you notice that dramatic pause? That's I, twice that's today you got was. it right. It was a dramatic pause. It's awesome. Yeah. Hasn't blown it yet today. No. Well, fancy. I'm a professional. Must be the ginger ale. No, it was that photo shoot that we did. <laughs> I feel like a professional now. So. That's all it took. I've got a professional headshot now, so... I'll give you a headshot. Right. Now, now there, there's <laughs> <laughs> there's other places they can find us too. You, you know, oh, oh, do tell. Yeah, no, I, I hear there's this thing called Facebookies, mm-hmm. uh, where apparently you can put your face up and bet on races. <laughs> and uh, there's this place called uh, Twitter, yep. uh, where uh, Donald Trump hangs out. Yes, POTUS. Uh, POTUS, yeah. And uh, there's uh, Instagrams. Yep. Which is like a candy gram, only it's instant. Right. And uh, let's see, what else we got? Oh, we got a YouTube channel. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yep. Yeah. We do. And uh, what else we got? We that's got anything it. else? No, I it? think that's it. Yeah, that covers it. All right, let's get out of here, guys. Uh, well, thanks everybody for listening as usual. Uh, I have been Rob Minow. And I've been uh, Steve Barkley. And I'm still Ryan Flurry. And we will see everybody next week. This podcast has been brought to you by Canadian Assistive Technology, providing low vision and blindness solutions across Canada. Find us online at www.canastech.com. That's C-A-N-A-S-S-T-E-C-H dot com. Or call us toll free at 1-844-795-8324. For all your assistive technology servicing needs, call Chaos Technical Services at 778-847-6840 or find them online at chaostechnicalservices.com. Music provided by bensound.com.